Hello, and thank you for joining me for yet another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Now, for this episode, I'm talking to what would easily be my oldest guest so far. Anna was born in the 1920s in what was at the time Yugoslavia and is now Croatia. Now, there's a category in the Australian census which might perhaps best describe Anna's nationality, and it's something like undefined Eastern Europe. But culturally and ethnically, she is definitely Hungarian. So I'm going with that. And she grew up in kind of the border area between Austria and Hungary. Indeed, not too many years before her birth, both these areas had been part of the Kingdom of Hungary, which lost some 60% of its territory as a result of World War I, leaving many Hungarians living in surrounding countries. So this is to understand the historical context. She lived through World War II and the Soviet invasion of Hungary led to other Hungarians seeking refuge in Austria. And so these events indirectly led to Anna's decision to migrate to Australia in 1950s. In some ways, the destination was just a matter of chance. And she came at a time when the migrant experience was pretty much different from now, though there were some similarities as well. So I'm sure there will be much of interest as Anna tells a story of a long life and living through some of the truly most momentous historical events. I was born in um, Croatia, a village called Prelog, and I had a sister. She was older than I was. And then my mother died when I was three years old. And we came to live with grandparents in Oberwart, that's in Burgenland, a part of Austria. And uh, the population was mostly Hungarian. At that time, Croatia, was that part of the Hungarian area? It was a Hungarian area, yes. Not when I was born. It was Yugoslavian. So I, I spoke only Croatian when we were taken to Oberwart. And my sister came to Oberwart before us because she was she had to go to school. So she she was translating because I only spoke Croatian and my grandparents didn't understand. All right. No, because they spoke Hungarian. But slowly I learned Hungarian and later on I had to learn German. So when you went to Austria, the la- the main language was actually Hungarian. At that time, yes. Actually, no, because after World War, then started the Austro-Hungarian monarchy, and then Austrians settled in, also in Oberwart and all around the area. So people started to speak. We had to speak German as well. Okay. So there was a mix of German and uh, Hungarian speakers. Yeah, that's right. But you grew up in a Hungarian household. Yes, yes, that's right. So was that the main language you spoke when you were a a child? Yes, Hungarian. What kind of environment was it at that time? Was was it sort of a village or a town? Oh, well, yeah, well, we were quite happy. But um, not having parents, you still, I still was not, I was quite unhappy sometimes when I went to my friend's place and I, I saw that she had a mother, loving mother, and and then I got sentimental and had tantrums and my auntie would smack me and then I said, you 
how dare you smack me, you're not my mother, things like that. And But she was really so good, she was like a mother to us, my mm. eldest aunt, my mother's sister. And we had to take part in all sorts of, even going to the fields, helping on the fields, harvesting and haymaking. And at that time, I wasn't very happy about it because mm. I wanted to play with my friends. But in hindsight, it was all so lovely. That's mm. how I know everything how to do in the garden. Yeah. And uh, close to nature. So it was kind of, you, you sort of grew up in a more of a country rural area? Country rural, yeah. Grandpa even had two cows. And we had fresh milk and uh, we grew around potatoes and vegetables. We had a big garden in the in, in the back. So is that the, the usual sort of lifestyle for people in that yeah, area? No, they, yeah, everybody was about, you know, had a had little garden or a field, a little field nearby somewhere. Yeah, very, very different lifestyle to today. Different lifestyle, yeah. But it was, I suppose, healthier, mm. healthy. So we we had fresh milk every day and, you know, all health, good vegetables and meat. We only could afford twice twice a, a week. But in winter, it was a different story. We had our own pigs. We had our pigs and every winter we had um, killed two pigs with the help of neighbors. They, oh, I didn't like to listen to the poor pig when mm. they... <laughs> cut his throat but all the lovely things you can we can have when we came back from school we had a feast so so, so what kind of food was sort of common to eat at that time oh uh, well in early autumn there was the sauerkraut making mm-hmm. the sauerkraut cabbage oh that was something for us children we we enjoyed it because we had to dance on the cabbage grandpa would grate it and then I put one raw cabbage and herbs and what else? All sorts of herbs and salt. Mm-hmm. And then every row and we children had to wash our feet and then we were dancing on it, treading on it, you know, to have a real fun. And uh, when it was full, then was put two big stones on it, mm-hmm. rocks, to keep it down and was put in the cellar. And we had sauerkraut, all, all through the winter. And sauerkraut was cooked with some pork from mm-hmm. our pig, and it was very delicious. Oh, well, high school, this is when I had to study so hard because I didn't want to make made fun of, <laughs> you know, because they're still the professors, they were still a bit, you Hungarians, you know? And I thought, oh, well, it was supposed my pride. <laughs> So I studied hard so that I have no cause to to say that we are no good or anything. So there was the feeling that Hungarians were treated a bit differently. Yes. There. Oh, yes, sure. Was that just at school or, or, or just generally? Uh, more or less like here, like in Australia. We weren't accepted straight away. You had to prove yourself. It is so, really. Because if somebody heard you speak in your own language, you know, said, why don't you learn English, you know, mm. speak the language, which is, they couldn't understand it. 
the sudden change you can't change suddenly. Later on, you know, they're more tolerant now. There's yeah. more tolerance. They encourage you to keep your customs and, uh, you know, and your language. But it wasn't like that in the 50s. Like, what were the, the circumstances, I guess, that led to you coming to Australia? Oh, that was... I still worked at the um, Gemeindeamt, or Rathaus, they call it, you know, Rathaus. Yeah, town, town yeah, hall. Yeah. Town uh, hall. And then all the refugees were coming over from Hungary because the Russians took over. Mm-hmm. They were the Russians. You know, after the, after the war, Austria was divided into four sections. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like Germany. And there was, yeah, and there were so many migrants coming. And my sister and her husband went to a camp because they wanted to emigrate somewhere. And there was a collection camp mm-hmm. in Trofajach. And my sister had a little son by then, Attila, and I thought, oh, I better go and visit them before they go away somewhere. And the, consul, the consuls used to come to the camps and select people who they want. So they were selected to go to Chile. And I thought, oh, I must see them before they go. So I've, I took holidays from the office and went to see them. And that's where I met my husband. He was a migrant. You know, uh, not a migrant, a refugee from Hungary because he worked for a newspaper and he said an article he wrote which they didn't like, so he had okay. to flee. So he was in a camp and we met there and so it developed. And after two weeks, we made up our mind. I thought he asked me to marry him. Oh, yes. It's a bit of a whirlwind romance. And then I told myself, well, it was sort of love, yes, but also a big thing. And, and I said, yes, I'll be that. And went back to the office and gave him my notice. And they were all upset. Everybody was crying. Whatever happened to you? You were always a sensible girl. Now, what happened? you going around. Where will you go? So I went to the camp, gave up my 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 flat and we waited for the consul to come and take us to see we wanted to join them in Chile and the quota was full they didn't take anybody else nobody it was full you know they have certain amount and that's full so we couldn't go and then the Australian consul came and he took us so we came to Australia okay so it was it was kind of in some ways, a bit just we, luck. It wasn't our first choice. Yeah. Because of the, we wanted to be together with the my with the family with my sister. But I am so glad we didn't go. I'm so glad because uh, it wasn't very good life in Chile. They had hardships, and finally they came here. We sponsored them, and they yeah, came right. here. My sister, husband, and three children. We were living in Sydney at that time. When did you leave to come to Australia? When was that? 1950. 1950? Yeah. Okay, so that's... uh... Uh, Yeah, I've been here. On Australia, 1950, I arrived, and I was expecting my child in June. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And I never had any checkups or anything. <laughs> I would ask me, did you have a, did you book in or have a, no, well, don't, that's not necessary. <laughs> mm. So what was it, what was it like in Australia for a migrant in 1950? It was obviously very different uh, I tell place. you, I can never forget it when we were taken to the camp, from the ship to the camp. And then I looked outside and I saw these elderly ladies in coloured hats and lovely clothes and I was so envious, I thought, will we ever, and lovely houses, I think, will we ever have a house like that? Can we afford it? And it was strange because in uh, Hungary and Austria, when you were over 50 or 60, you were allowed to wear bright clothes. Yeah, black or grey or brown, but nothing fancy. You know, might be, might be in the villages only, but might be different yeah. in the cities. And then here everybody was so... And it was so hot mm. that day, end of January, I said, oh, why did we come to this hell? <laughs> it was hell. After yeah. they called Austria, you know, with skiing and you know, snow, and I didn't even have many summer clothes, only winter clothes. When we were in a camp in Bonagilla and my husband went out on casual jobs to do road work or anything to be able to buy our summer clothes. How long did you have to stay in the camp for? This is when I went to the office and asked them to give us a job. And then I remembered we had a grandma's nephew or somebody was here. He was brought here as a prisoner because he didn't want to be a soldier for the Germans. Okay. He didn't want to go to war and fight for them. So they were interned and brought to Australia. Well, Hungarians who... Austria, sort of Austria, yes. Okay. And they were brought here, and he was in, oh, Tachura. There was a holding camp for all those people, you know. And in the meantime, he settled, he, he worked in Shepparton as a building inspector or something like that. So I thought I'd better get in touch with Uncle Stephen. Mm. You know, I called him Uncle Stephen. And I got in touch with him, and he came to visit us. He says... Well, he can apply for my husband and uh, myself. He took us out because he had a tomato plantation at that year. So he requested my husband to work for him. So we left the camp. Went and left in Shepparton. Do you know Victoria? And then after the tomato season was over, the picking. Then he worked in a door factory or wherever there was. And then we didn't stay with Stephen because he wasn't married at that time. He was the landlady, so we looked for a little little place on our own because we were worried the baby might cry. We had a little son then. And we, we lived in a sleepout. You know what is a sleepout? No, I don't think so. It's divided like a back veranda, and it didn't have windows. It only had a fly wire. Yeah, well, that's called a sleep out. Right. Because it wasn't easy to get, and nobody wanted anybody. 
with children, you know, mm. with a child. Okay. So we were happy to be all around, and we decorated it. It made it nice. One room was the kitchen, the other one was the bedroom. And how was it later then? Yeah, we stayed there for a while. Was that still in Shepparton? Shepparton, yeah. And later on, there was an ad in a paper that there's land for sale in Murupna. Would you know where that is? Uh, Near Shepparton, along the Goulburn River, there's land for sale. And it all it's needed is 13 pounds deposit, <laughs> and the full price would be 55 pounds. You know what the wages were? Six pounds 12. Six pounds 12 shillings was a, va- a week's wage. In that, that compares pretty well to today, yeah, I think. Yeah, oh, goodness me, how <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, we saved up the 13 pounds and put a deposit there for land in Murupna. And then slowly, every week, we saved up money for bricks. And my husband said he will be able to, to build it. He's going to build it himself with our Uncle Stephen's help. You know, he gave him some ideas. He was a building inspector. So we saved up enough money to buy cement and the things and then slowly build a little place. Were there many, many other migrants living in that area? Yeah, Yeah, all different migrants. And there was no water because it was a new area. And at that time, I don't know, it was hard to get workers or something. And because I could speak a bit... English. So I went to the water board and asked them. He says, yes, if you can arrange workers to dig the trenches, we'll give you water. Mm-hmm. So I went all around the neighbors. There were Ukrainians, Russians, Polish, all nationalities there. So I arranged the digging time for Saturday. They all came and dug the trenches. And then we got the water in. And it was a big celebration. <laughs> <laughs> it was a hot day, and I I was told you should drink hot things when it's hot weather. So I made them tea, right. hot tea, and oh, and we were so happy. But we only used the kerosene lamp because there was no electricity. So the next step was to apply for electricity, which gradually we got. And that was something. And we didn't have furniture. I remember when we moved into our little place, those crates which were, you know, we collected, that was my cupboards, decorated with nice paper or work, you know. I made myself some decorations, and then that was our cupboard for two plates, three plates. And we made it very cozy. We had a, soon we got a little dog. and beautified the place. It was quite nice. We stayed there for a long time, and then we made friends in a camp with people who went to Sydney, and we were in touch with them. And one day, my friend wrote, she said, why don't you come up and visit us in Sydney? So we packed up our stuff and visited them. And then we took off with little Joe, and my husband, myself, and we went, drove to Sydney. And I was so excited when I saw the Harbour Bridge. I mm. said, it's unbelievable when we learned in school about it. It's 
was like a dream. Mm. He said, it's like a dream come true, that you on the harbour bridge, it's amazing. Yeah, then we liked, li- we, we, we liked living. I thought, why should we be so separated from every day? more in Sydney than in little Murupna. Mm. So we sold the place and moved to Sydney. Then the sadness came, and because my husband always did manual work, but his job was with the newspapers. He was an editor in Hungary, mm-hmm. and he knew all about setting, and he was a compositor. Okay. You know? yeah. yeah. And he got a job with the Daily Telegraph as a compositor. And he worked there, and when Joe started school, I felt I have to you know, should look for a, a job. And then I saw an ad in the, a Swiss um, wool firm is looking for somebody, you know, invoice for an invoice typist or something. So I applied and I got the job. And that was such a lovely place. I worked there for 10 years. Oh, longer, 15 years I worked there. And then sadness came because my husband had um, got a uh, lead poisoning. One day he came home and he said they had an accident and it was in his eyes, spring, you know, it exploded something they mm. lead with lead. Right. And we didn't realize it what it was, but he started to behave. It has the same effect as um, dementia, you know. Yeah, it, it affects, aff- affects the it brain, affects doesn't it? It affects the brain. And, and he started behaving so strange and nothing was, you know, we didn't even think of that. It's more common now that, you know, somebody has got Alzheimer and things. But he behaved so strange that uh, there was, I better, if I could re- erase those years, I would. It was very hard. And in 1978, he died. And we planned before that he couldn't go back because the Russians were still in Hungary. But we planned to go to Austria to my people. In the meantime, you know, the Russians moved out and it was free again. So we planned it all. And the doctor said, no, you can't make plans. It's only a matter of time. It was like a, a death sentence, you know. Yeah. It was very hard. And it was at that time... When Joe, my eldest son, and his mates came fruit picking to Tasmania, they were a big thing. They wanted fruit pickers, and they were very adventurous. And that's how he ended up here, met a girl, married, had children. It's it's not his first marriage broke up, but nevertheless, (laughs) we came to visit. I came to visit them every year. So they came, like, way back in the 70s? Right. When, when did they come? Seven, right, I mean, it, it was yeah in the seventies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's when the apple that's apple right. industry was really that's right. big. Oh, was yes. Really big. Yeah, and they enjoyed it. Even my sister's children, they were, they came from Chile here, and mm-hmm. they became like member of the family. We always lived nearby, you know. At first, they lived with us, us in Chatswood in. Sydney, and then they got their own place, but we were always like one family. And Attila, 
that's his name, the eldest one, and Joe, Tommy was still young then. They came every year, they came apple picking, and then finally he ended up here, marrying the girl. But I loved it here, I loved it, you know. And when Joe married and had little Janusz, of course, every year would come and visit visit him, you know, the family here. And then he said, when my husband died, Joe said, why don't you move here? But by then I met friends in Sydney, and my sister was there. I said, oh, no, no, that's, I can't leave my friends. And I said, no, but maybe when we retire, I will. And turned out like that, you know. I wanted to ask a bit more about the, your initial time in, in Australia. What, what were some of the biggest, I guess, differences that you noticed when you first came to Australia between li- life here and the culture here and, and what you had grown I f- up with? I found people a bit cold. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Not as casual because, you know, I've used all my... All, it was perhaps only my surrounding, but everyone was more open and they were born a bit more cold and I don't know how to express myself there. I, I wasn't very happy, you know, because customs and everything is different. How would, a, a, like, say, a, a traditional Hungarian or Austrian Christmas be different Oh, from yes, it was so different. When we were children, we had to go to Midnight Mass. And before, it was big preparation to make the poppy seed cakes and boil the ham. And then after com- coming back from the Midnight Mass, we had a, you know, aspic, aspic yep. Yep. made from our pigs. Oh, meat, wow. you know, yeah, and that was delicious. It's a tradition. That's what we ate, you know, after midnight. And next morning we had to go to church again. And friends would come around and look at the Christmas tree, and then we gave each other Christmas presents. And the next time was the same, with the only difference we were allowed to go to the movies. Okay. This is this is unboxing what we call Boxing, boxing day. day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't understand why did they call it Boxing Day? <laughs> it it was really still nice. I've still got lovely memories from my childhood, even though it was not so luxurious what the children have today. But you know what, when we were children the day was never long enough for us because we always entertained ourselves. That's why I cannot understand why some mothers complain, oh, it's the school holidays coming, what will we do with the children? Everything has changed in mm. that matter because all they interested are to be on their computers yeah. or on their mobile phones. But have you been back to the area where you were? Oh, yeah, many times we went back because we realised when you grow up that what a um, lovely deed they'd make to to take in three children. And my grandparents weren't that rich. They had seven children. And two of them, Anna and Joseph, had to go to America 
to support their parents back home. Yeah, that was customary. Yeah. And one worked in as a housemaid, and the uncle Joseph he worked as a taxi driver, and I sent the money back to support the family because it was hardships, you know. And then, on top of all that, they took us in three children. You know, because my mother, that was my mother's parents. And when you're a child, you think, oh, it's natural, it's nothing. But when you grow up, you think that is a really big, big thing. You know, it's a lovely thing. Yeah. Generous to bring up three children and also educate, educate them. And my youngest brother lost him because... Um, he had to do what they was told, and this auntie was so religious that she arranged with the priest that she should uh, go into a seminar to become a priest. They didn't ask him if he wanted or not. So he went to a seminar in Hungary, in Kursek, but he didn't like it there. He never said why. Later on, when all these things happened about abusing, I think maybe that was the reason he wanted to get out. Went to the army, and I took him straight to the front to Russia. Oh, wow. And that's when he contracted a serious disease. I don't know what you call it in English. It was all swollen up and serious operation, and it pressed on his heart. So he was in Siberia, and what he suffered there, it was unbelievable. He says, when they, from the train, when they took him, they looked outside, there were dead bodies, you know, covered in snow. If somebody died on the way, they just threw him out. So he suffered such a lot. And then, when he got really sick, they um, sent him home. To Austria? Yeah. So this good auntie Maria, she took him to Vienna, to a hospital. And they operated on him because they, I don't know, affected his heart, his pressure or whatever it was. And they said, oh, yeah, everything's all right. And they told us over at the telephone that the operation was successful. And he died the next morning. Oh. They found him dead. And he was only 21. One year, my sister and myself went home and... Because there was no water, you know, like that. We had a well, and there was a bucket attached to a chain, and then you let the chain down, and then put the bucket up from, from, from the well. But it was so lovely water. It yeah. was artesian. Okay. Know? Yeah, it was so... So we thought, oh, auntie, they're getting old, we must... So one year we went home and arranged to have the water put in, you know. One memory stays with me all the time. When it was 1969, when the moon landing was on. Ah, yeah. We were there at home then. And they even managed to have it because Uncle Stephen had a guest house. You know what it is? It's like a yep. little restaurant, yeah. but mostly drinks. But once a week on market day, food was served, mostly goulash and things like that. And, well, through him, 
through the, he had the guest house and it was quite good. And he bought a television, so we had a television. And we watched the moon landing from there mm. with aunties and uncles there. That stays in me with my memory. And my auntie said, is, could that be true? Are you true? Is it true? I said, yeah, it is true. What were the differences between people of Austrian, Hungarian background? Were they sort of noticeable? Oh, no, that was quite pleasant, weren't you? It was quite pleasant. But it was worse during the Nazi times. Yeah. Oh, it was terrible. Because all those Germans came and took over and they thought they were they were better than anybody else. Yeah. And their be cocky behaviour. We didn't like them. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not to talk about the Nazi times that oh, you weren't allowed to say anything because oh, they took you away. And we had a f- dear friend who was a Jewish boy from a Pubi. And his father had a, a grocer shop, mm-hmm. a grocer shop. And, and, you know, children can be so cruel. And I said, you can only play with us if you bring us some good lollies from, mm-hmm. <laughs> from your father's shop. And he did. He used to grab some things from the bag and come and play with us. But we loved him. We liked him. You know, he was... Part. And on day they just picked them up and put them on, on, on a bus or what's an open cart or what. And we saw them when they took, took them away. And we, we were waving to him, Pooby, where are you going? And the guard, she says, you'll <laughs> disappear because you find yourself on the cart as well if you... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there were many Jewish people there, but they were all very rich, to mm. be quite honest, you know. They had a delicatess shop, only imports, you know, they now lovely figs and dates. And they were, you know, they were all very well to do. But one thing I also remember when they took him away, and the synagogue became empty. And that was in my college year. And the class was in the synagogue, yeah? One year until they found another place for it. It so. was a funny, a strange feeling, you know? Get-togethers, you know? There was so lovely get-togethers. You go into a little guest house and then meet some and have a few drinks. The next thing is the gypsy comes in and plays and then you're singing and dancing and, you know, happy, making happy. This is what I miss here. Sometimes if I think there's somebody where you could sing all those old songs and, you know. Yeah, well, I get the I get the impression that's very much, that mm. singing dancing is very much yeah, part of the, especially, right. the hung, especially the Hungarian yeah. culture. And the lovely, oh, but we did everything. A group of us played the theatre. Because during the war, the town hall was bombed. And for a good, uh, to collect money, a group of us played theatre. There was one old actor living in, in Oberwart, and he was teaching us how to act. Okay. Yes, so we, we acted, and oh, sometimes it was big success. 
Yeah. Yeah. One, two, three, three times we played. Uh, so, so it was played for the the town, the yeah, towards the town. the town hall. Yeah, and it has been, and since then, this Christian sent me photo from the new rebuilt town hall. What, what do you, what have you sort of enjoyed about living in Tasmania? Oh, I like the weather. It agrees with me. Mm-hmm. Even though it's cold, but it's so cozy. We, we put the fire on it. And even during the day, I mean, we go for walks every morning on the beach. Yeah. It's a beautiful beach here. Yeah. Black, I should mention that it's Blackman's Bay Beach that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's lovely. And the lifestyle. I like the lifestyle. Yeah. And the natural beauty. Yeah. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah, everybody, I think everybody mentions that, the, the, the natural beauty of Tasmania. Yeah, it, it is beautiful. Thank you for listening to another episode of 177 Nations of Tasmania. Don't forget you can also follow us on Spotify, Facebook and Twitter. Just look up 177 Nations of Tasmania. And thank you again for listening.